So I guess that morning, unassuming, just logged on to Facebook like you do in the morning, not really paying much attention to it, and all of a sudden was confronted with this, you know, algorithmically produced video celebrating nine years of friendship with my brother, Aaron, who had died two years before. It also showed the post that had the most engagement where it was me and my brother. And that post was literally the post like right before he died where he was on his deathbed. And I like kind of posted to the universe just sort of, you know, seeking solace and prayers and some sort of human contact to have that like reminder in a kind of like happy, jokey, algorithmic way was so just kind of insulting and weird. And also there's something about the online world where it's like, you know, we're still in this in this kind of cultural place of figuring out how real it is and how integral it is to our lives and like whether it's fleeting and superficial or whether it's really part of how we live our lives. And so I think that there's probably something when it comes to death and planning ahead, where it just doesn't seem important. You know, you're like, this doesn't matter enough for me to take care of it. Somebody else in my life will take care of it if it has to be taken care of. So that was Alana Sichel, a woman whose brother did not have a plan for what happened to his online presence after he died. And her story is a good entry point for what we're talking about today. Yeah, so this week on Why'd You Push That Button, Caitlin and I are talking about what happens to your online presence when you die. It's the first episode of our Death Online mini-series. Very, yes. very exciting. A little bleaker yeah. than we typically go, which is already pretty bleak, but it's an important, it's an important topic. You know that I'm always here for death content. In the outtakes of these episodes, I told Caitlin I think about death 75% of my life, which is not an exaggeration. I'm not exaggerating when I say that. <laughs> yeah, so our, this series is going to be all about how to die a good death on the internet. We're going to talk to some influencers, some scientists, friends, loved ones, robots. Yes, we are going. I'm, I'm hyped for that episode. We're going to have an episode <laughs> about robots. It's all you people need to know right now. Just get ready. And hopefully by the end, we'll be at peace with our mortality or, as may be the case with the Internet, our immortality, involuntary immortality. Yeah. Well, maybe (laughs) you have some answers as to what's going to happen to Caitlin's tweets when she dies. (laughs) In any case, despite being overwhelmed by all kinds of other anxieties at all times, I have to admit I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about my death, especially like what would happen to my emails or Instagram posts or Facebook posts. I guess I just never anticipated being among the dead. I really (laughs) want to know what it's like to be not neurotic. I genuinely wonder what it'd be like to go through this world and not think about death. Caitlin, who are you? Well, so then I saw this like very upsetting news story a little while ago about how by 2070, there's going to be more dead people on Facebook than living people. And I was just like, that could be me. I could be. You will be dead soon. I can promise that. I could be dead by 2070. And then like that has forced me to confront this question. I will be part of that weird online graveyard. What kind of digital zombie do I want to be? I need to think about this. Yeah. Like, what are you leaving behind? Like, what's your legacy? It's like you're your mausoleum, except it's a Facebook page, which is really dark. We're already getting very morbid. Okay. (laughs) 
What's your take? So I think about death a lot, probably too much. But frankly, I just like to know what's coming and be prepared. Mm-hmm. Like I'll know I'll die. But I haven't thought about what's going to happen to my digital assets. So, you know, I also think about, in addition to myself dying, I think about my family dying all the time. So yeah, I know. It's really messed up. I'm not saying I'm healthy. This is just something I think about. And so I think about my parents dying and they've kind of, you know, they're getting older. They've like talked to me about their estate planning and some things like that. But I don't think that they've considered their online assets at all. Like for sure. I'm I can I'm nearly positive. It hasn't been part of the discussion. And yeah, I just feel like my family and I are completely unprepared for death. And I don't know what to do, frankly. If there are people in this world that plan for death, I'm I can't believe it. I'm <laughs> shocked my parents even have a will. Like I seriously forgot to mail my mom her Mother's Day card for like a week. How am I ever gonna get around doing a will? I still have money in my old 401k. Okay. <laughs> well, we're tech reporters. So despite putting it off as I put off dentist appointments, but Ashley does not because she loves her dentist. It's true. We realize that digital death is an important thing to grapple with. Our lives are online. Our physical possessions at this stage in our lives in a very expensive city are meager and irrelevant, while our digital possessions are many and crucial. My Instagram is probably worth more than my possessions, I would assume. Like, I don't have that many followers, but like... You could get 25 bucks per post. I have the verified. So like, (laughs) that's worth money. Okay, great. So this episode, I think our goal should be figure out how to make a plan. Figure out how to execute the plan so that it actually works, Mm -hmm. convince everybody we know to make a similar plan. Wow. Okay. High stakes. Yeah. This is like a lot, but I think we can do it. Okay. So we're going to talk to an internet star, a regular normal guy, and an estate planner. And at the end of this episode, we will hopefully have an answer of whether we should bother planning for our online deaths. Okay, so first, we spoke to someone who wrote about this for the New York Times. Hi, uh, I'm Tim Herrera. I'm editor of Smarter Living at the New York Times. Tim explained to us why death planning is so important for everyone. Not just people with super popular tweets and gifs. We've reached a point where so much of our lived experience has kind of shifted online. Literally, like, everybody's just walking around with their cell phones, like, and looking at them nonstop. And so you can't really, like, die without having a plan in place to kind of handle those things. Just because, like, one, there's so much about us out there that we've, we personally curated. But two, it's just, like, we are everywhere. And it's just, like, something that has become part of the general routine of death preparation and death management. So it turns out Facebook is actually the only major social media platform with a really clear and definitive process for making a death plan. Facebook didn't quite introduce but really mainstreamed this idea of having a legacy contact. And so in terms of Facebook, a legacy contact is a person you set up to basically manage your account should you die or become otherwise incapacitated. And so they have the ability to shut down your account completely, delete all the data, delete everything. Um, There's an option to set up a memorial page, which keeps the account alive, but in a way that the legacy account can choose how people interact it. So they can allow people to kind of still leave comments, which a lot of people do for, like, remembrances and, uh, you know, just honoring, you know, the person who passed. Um, They can also set up where it's just the, like, photos or just certain posts or whatever. Tim noticed that a lot of people are starting to see Facebook memorial pages as sort of an extension of an IRL memorial service. When I was 
reporting the first story that I wrote about Facebook legacy contacts, a lot of folks that I spoke with, you know, kind of emphasized in the same way that this is why we hold funerals, that's more for the living people than the dead. Because, you know, we've all had that experience where you come across like the Facebook account of a friend who died, you know, years ago, and it's just kind of like awkward to see that. And so a lot of the focus really is just kind of making sure that your family and friends, like in Facebook's case, like have a place to memorialize you if they want, or, you know, just not kind of encounter that. Like Facebook, Google also allows you to set up a legacy contact. And Tim wants everyone to understand that you really do need to do something like that because a lot of your personal information will be literally lost and inaccessible because of encryption if you don't. I spoke with a VP at Backblaze, which is your data data management, and he told me the story that an older woman whose husband used the service called and said that her husband had died, um, but she didn't have any of his passwords, so she couldn't access the accounts. And so they, she called called the company and said, "Hey, this just happened. Can you please help me like retrieve this data?" And the company, you know, because of the security protocols they have in place, like literally cannot access that data without the password. So if nobody has the password, you know, the company has no way to access it. She had no way to access it. So it just kind of like is sitting there in a server somewhere forever. And there's nothing she can do to retrieve that. As for the odds and ends scattered across the older social web, your live journals, your tumblers, he thinks most of that will just vanish. MySpace just like happened to lose literally all their data from like 2002 to 2012 or something. But like my Twitter feed that day was full of people like, oh my God, this is such a relief. I didn't even know it was out there, but glad that it's gone. So like, yeah, we all have those, you know, the, the remnants of the, you know, mid early aughts internet that I think most of us, you know, if we haven't forgotten ourselves, it'll be forgotten by time, I'm sure. New Newer companies like Snap don't even really want to think about death themselves. You know, I remember I had to kind of go back and forth with them to, to kind of get a concrete answer. And when you look at their, uh, you know, help and FAQ stuff online, it's not readily available. It's not really easy to find. Tim's hope is that people will get more comfortable facing digital death planning head on and taking care of it on some rainy afternoon. I mean, in a perfect world, like every, you know, social network and data storage and, and any type of service like that would make it part of the signup process. It should be such a necessary part of creating an account. Like you created the account. Well, like what happens, you know, God forbid that you get hit by a car next week. It's just kind of something that we have to start normalizing that it's part of death prep in the way that writing a will is or like, you know, setting up funeral services. Now you should also be setting up what happens on, you know, your entire online identity. Tim told us he took his own advice and he has an online death plan, at least as thorough of one as is possible with the current restraints. So good job, Tim. Caitlin and I are proud of you and we admire you. Yes. Okay. But when Tim brought up all of the MySpace content being completely erased, it made me really sad. I know. brought me back. It really did. I remember my top eight. This episode feels like a lot more relevant to me now because I it took my space to make it relevant I know well okay bear with me I don't care about Facebook honestly like I just don't care whatever happens to Facebook like happens to Facebook I could not possibly care less but I really don't want anything bad to happen to like the weird relics of the strange web yeah I think about that with my Zanga it's still online I could find it and it's me in seventh grade being sad about things okay that's not the line (laughs) I'm just saying if it went offline, I'd be very depressed. I would be sad, too. I'll find it someday. None of these companies are spending much time addressing intellectual property or what actually happens to creators, like all the musicians on MySpace who put their music there. They need answers. They need to know. 
Yes. So to make sure everything's okay for the creators and also for me personally, I spoke to Kat Frazier, who runs the animated text accounts on Tumblr and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. I spoke to her because her GIFs, like the rotating LOL, nothing matters, the rotating word art you've probably seen a million times, are a foundational part of modern internet culture. They're basically 3D versions of word art and text. And a lot of times the content is related to more dark dad jokes. So my bio is literally dad jokes if your dad was a black lesbian. Her dark humor really makes me laugh. Most of what I do is I'll, I'll make gifts or take requests that are funny. And then they usually have like a darker tone, like, no, thanks. I already cried today. Something that you can send to your friends. You know, I tried to choke my demons, but they like it. Her body of work is enormous, and she only has archives of some of it. Tumblr alone, I made about 13,000. And then with my Instagram posts, I made about 1,200. I have a drive that has about 3,000 of the 15,000 I've made. And Dropbox is holding all of my animated text videos. But it's by no means my whole collection. Kat worries about death a little bit, mostly because it would leave years of her work just kind of drifting around the web. It's just going to be out there, just on the internet. And I'm not going to have anything to do with it. And what's weird is because I know now that some of my stuff is on Pinterest and I wasn't watermarking at all. So a lot of people started reposting it and I had to like prove to Instagram that I made this. And so that was when I realized that it kind of is like outside of me and I don't have the ability to let everybody know that this is my stuff. But yeah, I just assumed that the the accounts are going to stay up and it's just my uh, dark legacy. (laughs) She wishes she could let someone into her account just to post a death update so all of her followers would know and be able to move on. Uh, I know someone who recently just died on Instagram and thank goodness that her family was able to make a post and let people know that she was gone. And at that point, like, so I live with my girlfriend and she is just like internet phobic, doesn't even know like how a tweet works. So I assume that after telling her, like we had this conversation, I want to say like a couple months ago and I was just like, oh, well, if something happens, can you just let my friend know? And then she will somehow tweet or maybe make comments on my posts. So now that Tumblr is just kind of deleting stuff willy nilly and all of the mid odds internet culture is disappearing, her biggest concern is just kind of like being erased. I guess like the Wayback Machine or something like that. The only thing that I could ever think of being worrying is if they were just deleted. Like, I guess I would just be like, okay, if I just left my Instagram or Tumblr or something up and it's deleted, then does that mean that no one could even use like different machines to go back and look at it? I've recently had this issue with Tumblr where some of my stuff was deemed like sensitive I tried to put the URL into Wayback and I wasn't able to see what it even was and tried to like try to decipher from the tags. So that's terrifying because it's like no one is ever able to see this. I don't even know what it is. So it's kind of like the death of the content. Her worry is kind of the opposite of my worry for my own stuff. She doesn't want it to be like cleaned off. She wants to make sure that it's still up for the people who need it. You know, it's, it's going to be much more valuable to people who maybe never even engaged with me or requested something. And I think because I'm so invested in the followers and the relationship we have with requests, that it almost feels like a disservice to take everything down for them to go back and look at it and for new people to discover it. So to me, that's more important than, you know, if I'm gone, then it's gone too. Or you have to like 
do something extra to access it because when I was alive, it was still there. And so that's what I've invested in during my life. And I think that it pays off even after I die. So Kat's thinking about death now. She's planning. We planted the seed in her mind. We're not even done with the episode. And yet here we are successfully evangelizing digital death planning. I gotta commend ourselves for that. Yes. However, we really kind of threw Kat just like out into the ocean without a a life preserver because we didn't give her a plan. We didn't write her one. It's true. Yeah. She's got to do some research or listen to the rest of that. Yeah. (laughs) So that's what I was going to say is I think we need to hear from someone who has made a plan and actually executed it, gone through with it in order for me and Kat no, no, maybe you too, Caitlin, to actually believe it's possible because I am kind of overwhelmed. Okay, great. So when we come back, an organized man with a digital death plan to envy. So we're back, and next up is John Barry, a Why'd You Push That Button listener who reached out with a real plan. It came out of a brush with mortality. I had a a pretty significant health scare, and I started to reassess what was in my will. One of the things I had realized is that I had actually had a number of new items that I wanted to add to my will. I had purchased a network-attached storage drive, which is a, a network disk that you keep on your network. It had some photos. It had some important documents. And just reassessing and reallocating and defining where I wanted all of these goods to go or or these items to go if, if I were to pass. At first, he left everything on his storage drive to his partner, but then his lawyers asked a few questions and he reconsidered. They had asked me if I had thought about the data that was on that drive and just my kind of digital presence in general, which is is something that uh, the first time around I hadn't really thought about. I was really like, uh, I was in love and I was like, just give it, to, give it all to my partner if I go, right? Uh, no problem there. But in changing how that arrangement was going to work and in defining specifically about this network attached storage, uh, going to a friend of mine who's a little bit more of a, a gadget head, <laughs> the plan just started with me saying, Hey, you know, I have a uh, like encrypted file. If I were to pass, you will get access to it. It gives you all of the information needed. It's it's a it's essentially a keychain to access my social networks. I'd like you to, you know, memorialize my Facebook account. On top of John's personal health scare, the loss of a close family member gave him another big reason to start thinking about what would happen to his social media accounts after he's gone. It's kind of funny because all of this really came out of the fact that my partner's mother passed. And about six months after it happened, I got a message from her on Facebook. And I go into Facebook Messenger and I open the chat and it's an advertisement for Oakley sunglasses. Someone had gotten access to her Facebook account and was spamming all of her contacts after her death with ads for sunglasses. (laughs) And so my will has a master password for an encrypted document that will be handed over to a good friend of mine upon my passing. And there are explicit instructions with that to go through my social media, log into these accounts, delete and destroy the ones you can. 
While he wants most things taken down, he thinks it might be a little morbid to just erase all traces of his life. I told him specifically on Instagram, if he finds a couple of good photos of me, like keep them up so that people can have something to look at. It sounds a little narcissistic, but like someone someone might look at it and shed a tear. (laughs) As far as his personal messages, John hopes they can be deleted and thinks they mostly will be, but only insofar as anything online is ever actually deleted. Obviously, you can go into Facebook Messenger and you can delete your chats, but how much of that is really gone, I'm not sure. My plan would be for all of it to get destroyed and to make the best attempt to get rid of any of those DMs, uh, any of my emails, any of my Facebook Messenger chats. The reason why it's a friend and and not my partner is because, you know, you get in fights with your partner and you, you text a friend and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe they said this. I'm feeling really frustrated at them right now. So honestly, part of it was to have a space between the content that my loved ones would see and what I could have actually said in the heat of the moment. Everyone regrets sending a message sometimes. And I would like for anyone who gets access to these these artifacts from my online presence, especially the ones that, that happened in private uh, that may not have been intended for them, I would like someone to audit that just to make sure that no one gets their feelings hurt once I'm gone, in a sense. Mostly, John, like Tim, says it's just good to have these conversations Make it really clear to the people you love. Be as specific as you can and also put it in writing and also encrypt it. It gives us a little bit of time to have these conversations. And there have been questions that have come up. He has asked me on multiple times, uh, sometimes joking, right? Like, uh, you wouldn't want me to share this, right? And I'd be like, yeah, no, this should die with me. (laughs) I love John's plan. I need John's plan, and I need a lawyer, I think. Yes. So, like, at this point, we know most of the software answers, but there's also, I think, real legal things you have to do when you talk about making plans for your death, like wills. Right. Like, legal documents. Documents, Paper. Not just checking boxes and typing (laughs) in email addresses. So we spoke to Megan Yip, an estate planner and an expert in digital assets law. I'm Megan Yip, and I'm an attorney practicing law in the Bay Area. My practice is around estate planning and also post-death administration. And for the last five years, I've been really studying and teaching on digital assets and how they are part of the estate planning. So I was wondering how much of what we put online is actually our property. What if Twitter loves my tweets so much that it just wants to keep them? Or what if Google needs my email chains for science or, you know, (laughs) wants our G-chats for research? Then what? So anything you create, you have a creator's copyright interest in. So if you write something that's yours, whether it's a Facebook post or a blog or arguably even a private message, you've written that and created it. So you have an intellectual property right to defend it. And there are actually even defaults in the copyright law that says who gets that when you pass away. 
However, the ability to access Facebook or access a blogging site or access a private messaging site is actually something that you agree to the terms of when you sign up. So the end user licensing agreement is a non-transferable license to access a website, to communicate, to post your art, to post your writing. And so the access is what's really interesting and controlled. Megan invited us deep into the weeds of the Electronic Communications Privacy Act and we happily followed her. The Electronics Communications and Privacy Act, people call it ECPA, and private messages are actually extra protected, and those are something that cannot be released after your death, um, as opposed to something you might be saving or you might have publicly posted. So public posts are less of a concern under the law. There is a lot of regulation at the federal level around private messages. So that would be, you know, the difference between your public Facebook post and your private message. Unfortunately, there are some conflicting laws. Tech companies are allowed to release private messages under one law. Under another, they aren't. And as you may have been able to guess, there haven't really been a lot of major cases that have forced the courts to think about these things. I think under the new laws that have been passed on the state level, and they're called RUFADA, the Revised Uniform Fiduciary Access to Digital Assets Act, that's a handful, and that says if it is placed explicitly in a will that the tech companies should be compelled to release it. But there is still this question that the Electronic Communications and Privacy Act says if it's a private communication, meaning emails would be a private communication, then it shouldn't be released under federal law. So we have this conflict and we don't have a case that has actually really played out on this conflict. What she's really been talking about this whole time is whether the Internet is something you use in private or in public. And this is really the crux of this whole problem. There's this assumption that the Internet was built for anonymity and private communication. And we still have those pieces, right? Like we still have platforms where anonymity and private communication are encouraged. However, a lot more people have gotten on the internet since YouTube and since, you know, Twitter being a platform and Instagram being a platform where you can influence people. And so there's a certain, you know, group of people and maybe even the larger group of people now that look at the internet and they just see leaks and fame and, you know, intentionally put things there to be discovered. And I think there's this real, you know, dichotomy of opinion in how we see this technology and it makes it really hard to legislate. It makes it hard to educate. While we love a conversation about the core philosophy of the social web, we also really want some practical advice. So what should you call your dad and tell him to put in his will today? I need to have this combo with my dad, actually. Should it be all of his passwords, even though he uses the same one across every single platform, or what? A will is a really strange place to put passwords because if you use that will, it becomes a matter of public record. You have to actually submit your will to the court under law. <laughs> and if you end up probating that will, then it becomes definitely a matter of public interest and can be discovered by the greater public. Um, Whether that puts you at risk or not, again, depends on your own security profile. I mean, if you don't care what people are seeing, that's fine. But generally, it's not advisable to put passwords in public documents or documents that could become public. Megan thinks a clear-cut plan is the best plan and also 
the easiest for your lawyer to defend? It's defensible. If you just say, I don't want there to be any traces of me socially or otherwise on the internet, and then I'd probably leave a list of accounts. I have found um, in my research and just keeping up with the industry that deleting accounts is the easiest thing to do. I think that's much more straightforward than, you know, some people are putting clauses and trusts or wills that just say, you know, this person is my digital executor. They're in charge of all my digital assets. I actually find that much harder to swallow because when you think of all of the things that a person does online, I don't know many people who could be like, that's the one person who should take care of all my work accounts, all my personal accounts, all my side hustle accounts, all of my you know weird hobby accounts, all the accounts I don't want certain people to know about, and they'll know exactly what to do with it. Like, I just don't think it's believable. And I can't imagine arguing in a court of law with a straight face that, oh, of course, everyone has one person in their life who they want to take care of all of their internet and digital and software presence. She cannot state this enough. Leave a plan, leave a list of accounts, do not print the passwords to the accounts in your public will. Do not (laughs) do it. I generally say leave a plan, leave an inventory. So leave a list of those accounts and what should happen to them. Generally, we can find the way if we're savvy enough to do it without passwords. Of course, if it's a business asset, maybe you need to leave a password for a business partner. Unfortunately, the other thing Megan says we should all be doing is reading every terms of service for every app and social media platform that we put personal information on. Read up on the things you use the most or read up on the platforms, whether they're storage platforms, creative platforms, or communication platforms, where you do the work that is most important to your legacy. Read the terms of service, read the policy pages, know what's going to happen if you lose access or if you need to transfer access to a collaborator, to a family member, or otherwise. If you simply can't do it, it might be a reason to contact the company or it might be a reason to use a different platform. I do not think that anybody actually does this, and Megan doesn't really think so either. She just has to say it. She has to give the advice. Right. And it's also like, are you going to write Instagram a letter and be like, Dear Instagram, I do not agree with your contract. I would like to modify it. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's just like, don't use Instagram. I think she just means so you understand like no, for sure. for where sure. the information goes. I loved all of this free legal advice. I know. Thank you, Megan. We love lawyers coming on this show. Thank you all so much. So there was only one question that we, we had specific, I guess, to our current lived experience um, that Megan couldn't answer. Yeah, she could not tell us what will happen to our Hinge and Tinder profiles. I have not had like an in-depth conversation about the Tinder profile. I usually have a conversation about LinkedIn profiles because I usually teach in a professional context to financial planners and lawyers. So we usually like deep dive into LinkedIn, but maybe under the surface, everyone's also thinking about their Tinder. Damn. (laughs) Damn. Oh, well. So here we are other side, we got some pretty good answers. Like, if we wanted to go home and make death plans today, we could do it. I'm expecting my parents to call me after listening to this episode and telling me that they've called their estate planner and are working on the digital side of things. My parents do not listen to this show, but you gotta teach them how to use podcasts. (laughs) I am gonna go home, I think, and set up a legacy contact for Google. Really? Yeah. And for my Facebook account, which I would delete except for I've, like, accidentally used it to log into, like, literally every other website. Mm -hmm. And... I can't deal with that headache. I really 
really don't want anybody to post on my Facebook after I die. No, I that'd think. be weird. Yeah, I be weird. hate when people do that. I don't like the memorial pages. And also all my Facebook friends now are just like random people I don't know anymore. Like all the birthday wishes I get are from oh, yeah. like 60-year-old men that I like went on a church trip with when <laughs> I was 11. Cute. And I just like don't need those people posting eulogies to me. What about me? Well, I'm going to trust you. You're going to delete all my G-chats. You're going to carefully curate my Instagram so it's only pictures in which I look really good. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you're going to make the coffee table book of my tweets that we've discussed multiple times. Yes. I think I can handle all of those jobs, actually. Great. Those seem manageable. That seems more manageable to me than planning for my own death, to be real. But you're going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to text you every day until you do it. I mean, the thing is, I literally wrote an article on TheVerge.com like four years ago that was like, I'm going to start using a, a password manager now. And I didn't. Okay. Well, this time I'm going to be the enforcer. I like, don't care you don't what you Caitlin. do with your passwords. And I have no leg to stand on because all my passwords are the same. <laughs> we know. We learned this like <laughs> seven seasons ago. Okay. Well, both me and Ashley are making plans for our digital death. So this was the first episode in our mini-series about mm-hmm. death online. So the next episode we will have is going to be about a robot and what happens when a robot dies. Oh my god! Ethics are involved. <laughs> Ethical conundrums, Caitlin. Wow, I'm so excited to talk about AI ethics with you, Ashley. And then our last episode of the death series is going to be about a subject near and dear to my heart. Why do you tweet so much when celebrities die? It's true. We're going to get answers. Okay, so that is it for us. We are out of here. Thanks to our producers, Andrew Marino and Zach Mack. We also want to thank Gautam Shrikashen, who did the mixing and scoring. Follow us on Twitter. Caitlin's at K-A-I-T underscore Tiffany. I'm at Ashley R. Carmen. If you have feedback or stories to share, feel free to email us, button at theverge.com. All right, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye.